This is HPR episode 2484 entitled The Big Idea. It is hosted by Lost in Bronx and is about 19 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is A breezy look at what a big idea means in storytelling. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hello, this is Lost in Bronx. Today I'd like to talk about a particular aspect of storytelling, something I'm going to call the big idea, okay? And this isn't what you might call a creative idea per se. This isn't one of those, where do you get your great ideas that you might ask a a particular, you know, like a movie maker or a writer or a, you know, playwright or something like that, or a game maker for that matter. That's not really what I'm talking about, although it's a part of that. Very often in storytelling, a storyteller, and I'm going to use that term instead of a writer because, you know, storytelling comes in various forms these days. Storytelling very often will hang its hat on a big idea, you know, especially in speculative fiction. We'll talk about science fiction in particular, but I'm then going to expand on how it really applies to all types of storytelling, every genre, really. In science fiction, you often have different kinds of approaches to storytelling. Classic science fiction often hung its hat on what you might call the big idea, right? Now think about Larry Niven's Ringworld. The entire concept, the entire, you know, sort of hook of that story is the Ringworld, this titanic feat of engineering, impossibly mind-boggling feat of engineering done by some alien race in some ancient day, right? Isaac Asimov, the Foundation Trilogy, you know, just this star-spanning civilization that's so huge and so old that it doesn't even know where the human race began anymore. They've forgotten that. That information has gotten lost. And that goes on and on and on and on. There's, There's tons of them, tons of examples of that sort of thing where there's this one idea that the entire story is sort of built around, this one giant, huge, sweeping idea. And for a very long time, that was science fiction for a lot of people. I mean, if you go back to the early days, to Jules Verne, I mean, all of his science fiction stories, what we would classify as science fiction today, they all have that. You know, they all have that in in common. You know, from Earth to the Moon, the big idea is going to the moon. And the entire story is about that. You know, it isn't just part of the background, and it isn't about the characters. It's about that one thing. Journey to the Center of the Earth. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. You know, all of them have that one sort of single idea and the entire story hangs on it. Now, in science fiction, that was the norm for a very long time. And only later on did we start getting more and more variety associated with that sort of thing. So that you might have the big idea, but 
the big idea is in the background and it's more of a character-driven story or it might be a mystery there there's some sort of mystery surrounding this thing and you'll have your big idea in the background maybe if you have one at all that's the difference between the big idea story and sort of a character-driven story or a plot-driven story because you could have a plot-driven story that doesn't have some giant feat of engineering or some huge event or a war or something like that you can have a very simple industrial spying sort of story you know you can you, you know you can hang it on very very little when it comes right down to it very little and yet make a really compelling story because that one little element that you're working with might have a great deal of texture or detail to it so while in the larger sense that one little bit like say it's a story about industrial spying we'll run with that you have a company that's making microchips right and maybe it's microchips for you know if you want the stakes to be high and kind of melodramatic you could say it's some military application that's going to have all these international ramifications but you don't need to because in the end that just adds to the stakes but it doesn't add to the story right because in the end it's about stealing this piece of tech. That's your industrial espionage story, right? So let's not do that. Let's not go there. Say it's for a consumer product. It's for a new type of blender, right? This new blender can do something that no other blender can do. And it's because, let's say it's a new style blade for the blender. Those ones that, you know, the blades that they use at the bottom of the blenders. It's a new style. It's a new design. And no one has seen it yet. But everybody knows that this thing is going to happen. They've seen demos maybe online. These company is going to come out with this blender. They've had a prototype. They show it. They're demonstrating this thing doing impossible stuff. Incredible stuff, right? And they're going to be offering this product at a price point that is simply going to sink everybody else. Well, a rival company that makes blenders says, we got to find out what they have because the demo they showed online didn't give us a look at the blades and it's got to be the blades that are making the difference. We have to get somebody in there. We either have to get photos of these blades or better yet, we have to get some of these blades. You know, or the designs because all of those would be very carefully designed on computers and etc. We have to get information about these freaking blades. We have to get them. The stakes are exactly the same as if this was some sort of state secret that is going to decide the fate of nations. Except, you know, I, when, and when I say the stakes, the stakes for the characters. Now, when you start saying it's got a larger texture, you know, that it is in fact not blender blades that we're talking about. We are in fact talking about the guidance system to a new missile or the list of all of our agents that are undercover in foreign countries. You know, the stakes are big at that point. The stakes are bigger. But for the characters involved, the actions are the same. So you have to understand the context. By making the stakes bigger, it only adds to the tension, but it doesn't add to the story or the action. And tension is entirely dependent upon character. All right, or it can be. It can be. Think of it this way. If we're just watching somebody steal the blender blades, it's like, okay, it's kind of like a con man in action, right? It's not that big a deal. But what if we find out more about that character and we find out that this character has got, you know, maybe a, a family member who's extremely ill. They can't pay for that. They have to do this job or their family, 
family member may not get the life-saving operation or medical procedure, you know, and you got to run with me. If you're not in the United States, this doesn't make any sense at all. But in the United States, that's still a thing that you can die because you don't have enough money. That's still a thing here. So for the sake of the blender story, the blender story takes place in the United States because that's raising the stakes. See, if this took place in a more civilized country <laughs> where you don't die because you can't afford a medical procedure, then that goes away. So we're going to raise the stakes. We're going to put it here. Or maybe someplace even worse where there's bad medical coverage or no medical coverage for anybody and maybe it's taking place there right some other country where that happens right now the stakes are very high because it is literally life and death for someone if you don't get this blender blade the closer we are to that character if we're seeing what they're seeing feeling what they're feeling and we're we see their life they're not just the action of what they're doing but their life and why they're doing it why they're driven to do this thing the stakes are as high as you want to make them, even though it may not affect the world at all, but it will affect this person's world. And if that's the world we're seeing, if that's the world we're invested in, then that's the one that matters, right? Now, this could be a very compelling story, depending on how it's written, and yet it lacks that big idea. Again, in science fiction and often in fantasy as well, like high fantasy especially, uh, sword and sorcery and all that sort of stuff, the big idea is the driver of the story very often, right? So in, in the case of fantasy, it will be some ancient evil that's returning. I mean, that's, that's a trope that never goes away and never really gets old. It's kind of always evergreen. Some ancient evil is returning and the heroes have to band together to find the MacGuffin, the item that is driving the plot, that if they get this thing, then it, they can prevent the bad thing. And very often, the ancient evil is searching for this thing, too. You saw it in the Lord of the Rings, the, you know, Shannara stories by Terry Brooks. Over and over and over, you see this trope. It goes on and on and on. But the big idea, the one that's driving all this, is that there is an ancient evil that's returning. Good against evil is a very standard sort of setup for that sort of story. And if you have evil, then it's got to be a great evil. Otherwise, your characters don't have very good stakes, right? We're talking about stakes again, right? The stakes in sword and sorcery and high fantasy are almost always the world, right? Sometimes it's even the multiverse, right? It's always the big stakes. It's always we have to save the world. Because if you're not saving the world, a lot of times it doesn't seem that important. And again, it's because you are outside the character. You're not inside the character. What if, in the Lord of the Rings, taking that for an example, what if Frodo and Sam never left the Shire, right? What if the, the ring never came to the Baggins family, and all of that crap happens outside and maybe Sauron, the bad guy, gets the ring finally and start. you know, he's got all this incredible power and he starts taking over all of Middle-earth. You could instead tell the story about how the ring is being destroyed. You could tell a much smaller story about how the Shire is being invaded, right? Like at the very end of The Lord of the Rings, the, not the movies, but the books, there's a, a sequence called The Scouring of the Shire and that's talking about how the Shire does get overrun by bad people and how they the hobbits have to band together and stop these people and, and you know things are never the same right and it's kind of a pretty thinly veiled allegory about World War II I think specifically 
and the effect on Great Britain. But that's, you know, that's probably debatable, but that's that was my takeaway. But the idea that this beautiful pastoral place could be wiped out because of larger events. Well, what if we told that story? What if we told the story about trying to save the Shire, right? The Shire is a very, very small place in The Lord of the Rings. But if we're right in the middle of that tale, if we're right there, we're, we're really close to these characters, and we see what they see, we care about what they care about, then this is not a small story. But it's a story without the big idea, the one that I've been describing, that giant sweeping tale. Yeah, it might be there, it's in the background. But when we're talking about a story like this, suddenly it becomes much less about a fantasy and much less high fantasy and much more like what we would now consider a modern historical drama or his, sometimes even a historical romance, right? Getting out of fantasy and into that area, historical stories, where you might have the big idea, but it's in the background. World War II, a particular battle of World War II. You know, maybe there's a city under siege during World War II. And that is your your background. And that's historical fact. And people could look that up and understand what was going on at that time. And a good writer will explain much of that so that you understand what the stakes are for your characters. But it's not the central part of the story. That is the background. And in the central part of the story, you might have two characters who fall in love. You might have... Um, one character who's a, you know, a thief and has to be captured. You know, uh, the very famous film, The Third Man, the texture of that, the background isn't World War II. It's the aftermath of World War II. It's in Vienna, just after the war. And that's all historical fact. And it was a very turbulent time. It was an exciting time for, you know, kind of uh, shady entrepreneurs. Lots and lots of spies, lots and lots of double dealing. It was It was a crazy, crazy time. Plus... You have the people of Vienna who were dealing with horrible trauma from the war. Their city was still in ruins. People are trying to, you know, survive all of this, right? And that's your background. That's not your foreground. That's your background. And you can use that. And in that story, you end up with these characters that are, you know, you have Harry Lyme, who's a, you know, a scoundrel and a, and a terrible man in, the, in that story. And you have... All of these other people that are kind of spinning around what Harry is doing. And that is your story. And those are your stakes. And the rest of it, this this huge historical event, is texture. It's background. Your big idea isn't up here. It's back there, right? And that is very often the difference between what you might consider genre stories, many genre stories, science fiction, fantasy, uh, supernatural stories a lot of times, especially if they're like big supernatural tales. The big idea is the foreground. It's what everybody is trying to do. You know, that's, that's the entire focus of these people. It's not the background. So the Lord of the Rings, getting the ring, destroying the ring, fighting Sauron, that's all in the foreground. That's what everybody's trying to do. We're not seeing that in the background and having this romance going on in the front. There are some elements of romance here and there, and they're, they're in there, but that's not the story. You know, that's not the story. Those are just details, fine details, and those are kind of niceties tossed in to make the characters seem more human, right? Because even though most of them are not, they have to appear to be human. They have to have human-like traits, or else we don't care about them, or we don't understand them at all. 
it's hard to tell a story that has a big idea in the forefront and yet still have characters that really ring true, right? You can have cool characters. You have you can have characters that, oh, man, I really like that person. But emotionally, you don't have an awful lot of attachment to these characters. You might have an intellectual attachment, and you, there might be a severe, tremendous cool factor to these characters. But their heart, their motivations, the things they care about, it's very hard to care about those things the way they do because they simply don't have the time. Because the big idea is so central to that storyline. So, when you're watching a movie, when you're reading a book, keep that in mind. That a lot of times there's a big idea. And the big idea isn't necessarily in front. It might be in the background. There are a lot of drama stories, especially romances, where there is no... Uh, modern romance, specifically. Not historical romance, because those are almost always set in a very specific historical period that are used as background and texture. But modern romances that might take place right here today, very often they don't have the big idea. That doesn't exist in those stories. And that's an interesting thing, because when you look at those, all they have is character. And yet, it's still compelling. We still care. And that goes to show you that the big idea isn't always that vital. It is a trope. It is a common element in certain types of storytelling. Really, it can be a common element in any type of storytelling. I would argue right now, it can be used in any of them. It's a staple in some of them, but it's not vital to any of them. You can tell a really compelling science fiction tale that doesn't have the big idea involved. There's no grand sweeping anything. It's just this story about these people. You can tell a fantasy story that does the exact same thing. It's just a human tale. Regardless of whatever race is involved, it's a human tale. And we care about them because it matters to them. You don't necessarily have to have the big idea to tell that kind of tale. Does it help? It depends. It truly does. On occasion, a big idea gets in the way and it's distracting. And it's a good idea to leave it out. Because if really all we want is to tell a story about these characters and what they care about, having anything else is just going to get in the way. Get rid of it. Don't use it. Instead of setting it in post-war Vienna, set it in your own backyard. Set it in your, your neighborhood. There's no reason to distract from what's going on. But if what's going on can use vital elements of that particular background, of that big idea, then by all means use it. It's a tool. And I think that's ultimately what I'm trying to say here. The big idea in science fiction, in fantasy, in drama, in romance, in comedy, the big idea is just a tool. And if you look at those stories and that's the only thing you're ever either talking about or writing about, you're only ever using one tool. And again, if you're a storyteller, that's limiting and you should expand. You should go beyond that. And if you're just watching, if you're a consumer of this stuff, and every producer of stories is also a consumer of them. So as a consumer of stories, you should be looking to see how these things are being played out, how the big idea is being used, if it's being used at all. So that's just a few thoughts about storytelling and 
the big idea. This has been Lost in Bronx. If you have any comments about this, please feel free to put them in the comment section for this particular episode on Hacker Public Radio. Or you can contact me personally. I'm at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. And please, if you have thoughts about this, or especially if you disagree with this, do your own episode of Hacker Public Radio. You have a voice, you have opinions, and we want to hear them. Thank you for listening. Take care. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.